Herbs are magic. Even after all these years, I am still in awe of each individual person's ability to heal themselves with plants. People often will say, oh, Margie, she's so wonderful. It's not me. It's the plants. And that person taking those plants and putting them in their mouth. I'm not in their body. They are healing themselves. I'm just the crystal ball. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Margie Flint has practiced herbal medicine for more than 40 years in the coastal town of Marblehead, Massachusetts. As the village herbalist, she has become a figurehead in the town and has helped countless restore their health with herbal medicine. As an educator, Margie keeps a very busy pace. She has been an adjunct professor at North Shore Community College, the Tufts University School of Medicine, and currently at Massachusetts College of Pharmacy. She has been a faculty member at Pacific Rim College for nearly a decade and regularly lectures in Canada, Europe, and throughout the United States. We cover a lot of territory in this episode, beginning with Margie's early life battle with cancer and the path to healing that it precipitated. We get a taste of what it is like to be a small seaside town herbalist. We travel vicariously with some of Margie's mentors and colleagues. We journey into ayahuasca, and we take a peek between the covers of the making of Margie's book, The Practicing Herbalist. When it comes to herbal medicine, Margie has a surfeit of knowledge, and she generously shares some of it with us through her incredible stories of connection to plants and people. I hope you enjoy this plant-centered episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Margie Flint. Margie, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. I'm so happy to be here. I love Pacific Rim. Oh, well, thank you so much. We love you and our relationship with you and feel so enriched by that relationship over the last 10 or 15 years. I don't know how long it's been. Wow. I don't either. <laughs> so you are in Massachusetts right now. On the liberal side of the United States. <laughs> now we're not going to get into politics. <laughs> I think, anyway. You, you're basically the village herbalist, aren't you? Or herbalist, as it's in the States. Yes, I would say I like it both ways. I like herbalist and I like herbalist. But... Um, Yes, I'm definitely this town's herbalist, but at this point in the land of the virtual world, and maybe even before that, I've had clients from all around the planet forever. You know, at least the last 20 years. Yeah. And what is it like? You're in a little seaside town. I don't know if it's little. Is it little? Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, it's great. You know, like Victoria, we have water. We have a beautiful harbor. We have fishermen and artists and lots of CEOs from lots of wealthy places. It is a ridiculously wealthy town, mm. which works well for me. Um, <clears throat> and I am literally a block from the harbor. 
so I can walk up the street and see beauty all around me and feel the ocean and the wind and the spray of the water and be quite happy and safe. <laughs> so what has that experience been like you for the past four decades as the local medicine woman or the local herbalist? That's, it sounds so bucolic. They call me, the, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. A little boy down the street, he was nine or 10, um, fell off his trampoline and had a serious break to his arm. And he ended up coming down the street and lying on my bio mat as I <clears throat> asked him questions. And his mom kept, as she was telling me what had happened to him and what the break was and what the doctor had said, she kept touching his arm right where the break was. And finally, I took her hand and moved it away from his body and said, you know, it's only natural when there's an injury. It, it has so much energy. Our hand goes to it, but it would probably be best to not keep touching his arm. And he, the little boy is lying on the table and he mouths, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, long story short, a couple, you know, a month, two months later, I ran into his mom and I said, well, how's, how's Will doing? Oh, he's great. She said, you know, he was with his friends and they all said, wow, Will, you know, you have full use of your arm and you were told you wouldn't use it again and you'd be numb in your fingers, you feel everything. That's incredible. That doctor must have been amazing. And he said, oh, no, it wasn't the doctor. It was Margie, you know, the ocean witch. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's really what my <laughs> reputation is. <laughs> I love that. The ocean witch. Wow, that's <laughs> perfect. What did you do for Will? Um, I gave him St. John's wort to deal with the nerve pain and to reconnect the nerves. I gave him ashwagandha to rebuild the muscle. I mean, the doctor was so limited. He, you know, he said, your arm's going to be shorter. You'll never have full use of it. You'll, you know, the tingling in your fingers is nerve damage. It'll never come back, you know. And I just said, well, you know, we believe in plants. So we don't have those limited thoughts. And the plants will, you know, give your body all the nutrients they need to get better. So St. John's wort, ashwagandha, which builds muscle, um, prickly ash to give it direction. And he had like ripples of muscle spasms going up his arm. So, you know, teasel or prickly ash there. And Solomon seal was the other herb. So Solomon seals for any ligament that's too tight or too loose. And um, so I explained all that to him. He's like, oh, well, that's great. Um, but what I really want is something that will let me not have nightmares when I fall asleep. And he had been keeping himself awake every night because as soon as he really fell asleep, he was back on the trampoline. And I said, mm. oh, just go to Whole Foods and get natural calm, you know, that fizzy drink, fizzy yeah. calcium. And I said, just have, you know, a teaspoon of that before you go to bed. He never had another nightmare. 
Wow. <laughs> I'm sure you have just a plentitude of stories like this. So I'm I'm probably going to be probably going to be digging to to bring some of those out. So that'll be great. How I know you've been in a practicing herbalist there for 40 years. How long have you been a herbalist in general? And or have you has it always been in Massachusetts? I've always been in Massachusetts, and um, I began my studies officially in 1974. You know, that was the first herb conference I went to. My mother, who's passed on, but she said, oh, Margie, well, she said, oh, Margaret Helen, (laughs) you've been shoving herbs in people's (laughs) mouths since you were a little girl. So when did I really start? I don't know. But uh, officially in 1974, and that's when I studied, I went to the first herb conference, which was tiny, 65 people, including all the teachers, all the chefs. <laughs> and I met Rosemary Gladstar and David Winston, and they, you know, really were my foundational teachers. You know, I'd say the first at least eight years of study were intensely with them. Right. And what was it that drew you to that conference in the first place? Was your upbringing related to healing and herbs at all? I mean, my my mother's father's mother was an herbalist, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, and I, I was living in a town that had this herb conference. And I just fell into it. I you know, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, well, that's not true. I was diagnosed with a tumor in my pituitary it, that same year, 1974. And um, I began a quest. You know, it was like the hero's quest. <laughs> I changed everything. I left my husband, step one. I began studying herbs. I began studying supplements and nutrition. I began doing yoga. I stopped being a shallow, vapid, airhead, beautiful girl and, you know, created some depth, which was nice. Um, Herbs, yoga, supplements, nutrition. Looked for a spiritual path, you know, you know, Honestly, I don't think the spiritual path ever ends. You know, I'm still, you know, seeking deeper connection to spirit. Plants really help with that. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the most important part. And what did that step one do for you as far as ending your relationship? How did, how was that a springboard towards this this further stuff? (laughs) Well, He was a beautiful man and very charismatic. And he said everything I wanted to hear, but it was not true. And he was abusive. So my body said to me, well, you can stay with him and we'll leave you. (laughs) Or you can leave him and you can stay in your body. And that, you know, that tumor, I did go through lots of medical testing in Boston, but, um, I never went back for the last test because I felt I was an impressionable girl. And if they told me I only had a year to live, which was the prognosis, uh, that I would die. So I didn't go back 
for that news. <laughs> I, I, you know, danced a lot and I drank a lot of Jack Daniels <laughs> and went to art school and left my husband. <laughs> I moved back in with my parents. I mean, part of my resistance to leaving him, even though he was abusive, was that no one in my family that I knew of had been divorced and I was embarrassed. You know, I felt like a mm -hmm. failure. But the truth was I, I gave everything I had to that marriage, but there was, you know, I could give and give and give, but it was never going to be received. So the tumor was, it disappeared. It sounds like a huge, a huge, well, it sounds like in itself, it was a huge opening for your life to really flourish and blossom. And you, it seems that you took that I as did. an opportunity rather than as a crisis. Exactly. And you just said it disappeared. Can you talk a bit about that? What you did and how it disappeared? Sure. Uh, the symptoms which the tumor created. So did you, do you want real detail here? Of course. Okay. So the symptoms of this tumor were uh, peripheral stars in your vision. Uh, your breasts would increase in size. I was a 34B at the time and they increased to like 34 double D. Literally oh. overnight, I would gain and lose 10 pounds. It was bizarre. Was that all water weight? I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I mean, at the time I was this tiny little thing, you know, I had a little teeny waist and, you know, but anyway, so breast change. And then I had a dark exudate from my nipples and uh, fainting where I would just fall over. Um, hmm. I think those were the main symptoms. And um, they, all those symptoms disappeared after a year. But all I really had to do was and walk out the door and they were, you know, they basically, I they started going. getting better. So why is that? What did you do? You took that diagnosis and obviously you made some changes in your lifestyle. Yes. Can you talk more about some of the specifics, how, how you navigated that? You left an abusive relationship, which is huge. Very what else did you do? Um, okay. I took supplements. They're called protomorphogens. We have a company here in the States called Standard Process. And they make um, uh, like extract of pituitary gland and basically make a homeopathic remedy out of it. And then I think that had a great deal to do with giving my body um, like particles attract sort of concept that it gave my pituitary what it needed to rebuild itself in a healthy way. Um, I was safe. So I wasn't living in constant fear. Um, and, you know, I began doing yoga, which is a spiritual practice. It's a path and bringing in more positive thoughts. I did meditation where you, you bring light in through the crown and out through the third eye. And that stimulates all your endocrine glands, especially the top four. Um, you know, I began s 
seeking out what it was that made me happy. And when I met herbalists, it was like I had met my people. It was like, I felt like I entered the ancient summer gathering of your people. You know, it's like mm. my heart opened. I would look into people's eyes and feel at home. It was absolutely incredible to be with herbalists. They are my people. Yes. Yes. And you spoke of this safety that you were able to step into. And the pituitary gland is impacted by, as, as our whole body is, of course, but it's greatly impacted by that emotional trauma and that emotional stress. And so that alone, stepping into that safety and allowing you to be more aligned with your intuition is something that directly can impact, it does impact the pituitary gland. Yeah. I also studied um, energy work, polarity therapy. I am a polarity therapist. And, um, you know, Reiki, you know, so, you know, I, I really sort of took on everything. You know, energy work, physically, what could impact my body, spiritually, active, you know, what do I need to do with my body to stay healthy and active so it was really a big round picture full of lots of parts mm -hmm. you had this symptomatology mm -hmm. i'm presuming that's what what drove you to get tested to find out what was going on right and had you not had the diagnosis of a tumor do you think the symptoms alone would have been enough of a message for you to make these drastic lifestyle changes? No. I think I needed to hear I was going to die in order to change. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think has ultimately made me a better practitioner because I believe yeah. in the body and I believe in the spirit. And when people come to me, I think, they feel that, you know, every practitioner draws to them some unique, you know, because of who they are uniquely as a practitioner, different people are drawn to them. You know, there are so many, there's a wonderful variety of practitioners in the world. And, you know, somebody who goes to Rosemary Gladstar will not be the same person that goes to see, let's say, Matthew Wood or David Winston or me. You know, everybody has a different reason they are drawn to somebody. Right. And I shoot from the hip. And did you... <laughs> yeah. And did you undergo any interventions with Western medicine for the tumor? Okay. No, at the time, this was what? 55 years ago um at the time there was nothing you could do i think now if you have a tumor in your pituitary they do surgery but at that time they didn't and years right. and years later so my mom died about 10 years ago and she had us compulsively go through everything in the house and get rid of it or organize it so i found a file on myself 
and all the other kids. And in that file was a letter from that doctor telling my mother I had a year to live. If, wow. you know, they had found a positive change or well, a negative change, I guess you'd say, but a growth, the tumor had grown. And he said, you know, there's a good possibility she'll only live a year, maybe a year and a half. She never said that to me. Mm. Never mentioned that. I have not got that gene. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I knew there was something wrong with my kid, I would totally be talking to them and making sure they did everything, but not my mother. She let us live our own paths. And I presume based on the journey that you've led that you're grateful for that? Is yes, that safe to say? I am. I'm in yeah. awe of that. I don't have that capability, but you know, I love my mother. She was really fabulous. She was the smartest woman I ever knew. And she could keep a secret forever. Wow. So I have this, I don't know if it's a theory, but I have this thought when it comes to cancerous growths and, and tumors that I think we all have some form of cancer within Wait, us potentially at any given time. Okay. And I think it is those who listen to the symptoms and make minor adjustments along the way who are able to find a state of equilibrium or a place of health and be completely ignorant of, of the knowledge that that tumor or that cancerous growth ever existed in the first place. And I think we, we navigate our lives constantly doing that. We make big changes. We leave relationships. We find love in other ways. We change our diet. We change our lifestyle. And... I'm not so, obviously in your case, you said the diagnosis is what really drove this home to you that you needed to make some changes. And I, I know that those diag diagnoses are extremely important. I'm also kind of of mixed minds because I wonder how many people get that diagnosis and give yes. up. They, they acquiesce to whatever the system tells them they need to do. And from there, when they're given the prognosis of one year to live, that's it. They just, they kind of give into that and, that. and so it goes. So I'm of mixed mind. I know that Western medicine has so much to offer. And yet at the same time, I really want people to listen to the messages that their body is delivering to the symptoms and understand that we can make course corrections as we go. Mm -hmm. And as you did, you, you didn't undergo any of the interventions that would be prescribed today. You did it your own way and you healed yourself. And that's incredible. It is. And the body is incredible. It is miraculous what the body can do. And I have lived long enough and had enough of my own issues and with, I don't know how many clients, watched people who have been given a prognosis that does not look good, completely go through years and years of a totally happy life or an extended lifetime that, you know, they're told, oh, you only have this much time. You know, those are very limited thoughts. And I do believe mm. that the heart and the brain work together. You know, if you believe in 
yourself and nature. You know, in my in my intake form, there are a couple of questions questions that are most important to me. One, do you have a spiritual path, a belief in nature or a religion? And if you say no, I don't believe in anything, it's like well, <laughs> you to lose points on that. Do you drink a lot of good water? <laughs> you get a thousand points for that. And are you happy in your relationships? And you get a thousand points for that. Do you eat organic? You know, I mean, there. It's like, do you poop every day? You know, it's it's like if you put in and put out every day in a good way, and take love in and give it out in a good way, and make sure that you are putting into your body, onto your body, into your mouth, all the highest quality foods and lotions and pats and kisses, all of that, that is what makes us live. I mean, human beings are meant to be tactile and express love and receive love appropriately. Yes. Okay, you said human beings are meant to be tactile, which I agree with completely. In your opinion, how does the current state of world affairs, how is it impacting people? Depression is more serious now than it has ever been. I have kids, young kids who are suicidal, that they don't know how to be in the world. They're supposed to be out playing and socializing and learning social skills. And instead, they've become completely attached to the screen. Or if they if the screen hurts their brain, and a lot of people can't do um, Zoom and all this stuff, they feel like they don't belong. They are not connected. They're way too isolated. It's very difficult you know, to be an only child and have to isolate is just unnatural. You know, my grandsons are eight and 10 and I take care of them twice a week while they're on Zooms. Both parents are teachers and they have each other. They play better now together than they ever have. They were always good, but now they're exceptionally good. And they're in a little cul-de-sac where everyone socially isolated the first three months and they're very strict about their pods that they're interacting with. So, you know, there's a neighborhood continuity and agreement to safety. They're a little more normally socialized, but for kids who are really isolated, I don't know how they, what are they going to think of the world? How are they going to learn the skills of being human? Yeah. I, I wonder about that so often having two young kids growing up in this world. And, and you talked about the, this is the time for social interaction and growth. And instead, we're being taught to fear society. We're being taught to have, taught to fear interaction with others. And Obviously, it's not ideal. It's not ideal, but there are ways. It's like when, you know, the first 
four months, I guess, of COVID, um, I had to stay six feet away from my grandkids and wear a mask and just be outside, not go in the house. And when they had to go back to teach and have live students and not be at home, they needed help. So when they asked for help, I said, yes, I will help, but I will not wear a mask and I will treat them like they're my grandchildren. I will hug them and kiss uh -huh. them, but I'll get COVID tested. <laughs> and I'm the one at risk. You know, it's like I'm the old one. Um, but it is, it saved me. I don't know how I could survive without hugs. I am a major yeah. hugger. I don't know if you know that about me, but I am quite famous. I can, I can for sense that. Spectacular hugs. <laughs> <laughs> what does the world of plant spirit medicine have to offer us during a time like this? Everything. I have been using, I've always used flower essences with people and I've always used, you know, like a few drops of something just as magic. Parsh, that was taught to be me by Karen Sanders. I don't know if you know her, but she's Choctaw no. native person. And she and Sarah Holmes have, you know, taught me amazing things about small, you, you know, drop doses of plants, as did Matthew Wood. And those little drops are the magic. It's, that's mm. when you're working with spirit. And so what are those, what are those little drops? So is I'll give you one example. Homeopathic or is this? No, no, they're, okay. they're tinctures. So they're, one okay. example is American ginseng. One, mm -hmm. I, I can put like one to three drops into a two ounce bottle of formula for a client and feel like the American ginseng, what it does is it pulls the, if you have a traumatic experience, your spirit sort of breaks off in shards and it pulls those shards of your light back together. And over and over, I've seen those few little drops do the magic. You know, they, they allow the person to uh, pull themselves back together and become whole with the help of the herbs. And maybe, you know, I frequently will send a, um, a simple meditation out to um, clients to take your tincture and do this meditation for two minutes, you know, no, like week in the cave, just something simple. And I really think that that is the bigger medicine. Yeah, the herbs are great and tea is wonderful and baths and topical use, whatever, but if you work with the spirit, the person gets better. And flower essences or energy work or meditation or therapy, whatever avenue works is perfect. Right. What does your spiritual practice look like, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. Uh, my spiritual practice. Hmm. 
I would say my spiritual practice begins with really good espresso in the morning. <laughs> mm. Nice. That's what, you know, I need to ground before I can awaken. So caffeine, my ritual of having my cup of coffee is the beginning of my centering. And then, you know, well, and maybe it starts in bed when I look at the sky. I have a roof window, so when I look up at the sky, I just appreciate the, the new day. What colors are there? Yeah. How many seagulls are flying by? Is there a cardinal? You know, it's like, it's simple appreciation of this world that we're in. And then if I'm really good, I'll meditate, but I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I do try to meditate. My meditation is more in walking. I walk the coast at least four times a week for an hour and I try to do more. Um, but the truth is I am ridiculously busy still, even after all these years, I just can't seem to slow down. But walking, I would say, is the closest thing to a reality of meditation for me. But I feel spiritual connection in connecting with friends. Like a, in COVID times, what I've done is around five o'clock, I will call up a friend and have a glass of wine and have a laugh and talk about what's going on. And, you know, because of my lifestyle that I had pre-COVID, I mean, I would travel two weeks of every month all over the United States and Canada. So I was hardly ever home. So it's been a big change <laughs> to be home all the time. And I miss my friends, but my friends are all over the country in Canada. So I'm on the phone most evenings being friendly and that feeds my soul i need to have connection to other people you know my spirit soars with laughter that's beautiful i love i love that whole answer just in in part because it's also mundane and yet <laughs> you're, you're present to it and you're there in the moment and it's something that all of us have time to look at the sky or to ground with that morning beverage, whatever it may be, <laughs> or to take a walk or to connect with friends. And it's in those, those really those four and, and laughter it's in those five simple things for you that you maintain your connection and your groundedness and, and your sanity in these times of insanity. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's so easy for people to get carried away and say, I'm just too busy. I, I don't have time for any of that. When really it's in my humble perspective, it's a, it's about just being in that time, in that moment, whatever it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. 
for me, having these conversations with people like you is therapeutic and, and very grounding for me. And, and I don't think you're a bad person for not making time to meditate. Because as you said, you're, you're doing your meditation in many other ways. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that your mom said, Margie, you've been giving plants or herbs to people your whole life as it as it when you were a kid what did she she mean tells the story of when i was a toddler i would pick um pineapple weed you know it's in the chamomile family i would pick pineapple weed and shove it into my little playmates mouths or i would (laughs) take herbs from the garden and mash them together into uh, mud pies and force feed my younger sister. I don't think I ever got over that. But, um, you know, I just had some ancient, I think all children are drawn to plants though. You know, I give herb walks for little kids and I love those because they learn everything in 10 minutes. And then you get to make tea from all the stuff you talked about. And they're so receptive. They don't forget a thing. And, and they're brilliant. So I think all kids mm. are drawn to herbs as long as they aren't told that, you know, bugs are bad or bees are going to sting you. Or, I mean, I have honeybees and inevitably kids will show up and they'll be like, oh, they're bees. And oh, no, no, bees are benevolent, you know, and I'll, the bees will come on my hand or something else. I see they don't do anything. They're just kind of tickly. And as long as you stay slow, don't move quickly, they're fine. Unless you put your hand on top of them, they're not going to sting you. I love working with kids. They're just, they're so pure. Yeah. And I presume in your practice, you use plant medicines with children. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've had kids that couldn't breastfeed or were allergic to formula. Can't imagine that. And I would just (laughs) really, really strong, you know, nutritious blends with alfalfa and nettles and oat straw, milky oats, you know, make a strong decoction and say, you know, feed them that and see what happens. And the kids grew up strong and didn't have any calcium deficiencies and were absolutely perfect. So nature always has an answer. Yes. And let's, you, I'm just going to crack open the the box on this. You have 50 years, give or take, of herbal experience. I want to hear some of these stories. (laughs) And I don't know if you have any favorites, but what has, even with your experience, are there any that have just totally blown your mind, the results, the outcomes that you didn't even foresee coming? Even after all these years, I am still in awe of each individual person's ability to heal themselves with plants. You know, people often will say, oh, Margie, she's so wonderful, blah, blah, blah. It's not me. It's the plants and that, that person taking those plants and putting them in their mouth. I'm not in their body. You know, they are healing themselves. I'm just the crystal ball. You know, it's like I have the education and the studying with 
you know, who I consider to be the top herbalist in the world um, over all these years. And, you know, so the filter of my experience helps me to make up an invoice for someone in a formula and ship things off to them. But the person is the one healing themselves. You know, I'm, I mean, herbs are magic, but I never call myself a master herbalist because I don't have a master's degree. Oh God, my mind went completely blank for stories. Jim McDonald yep. is a fabulous herbalist and one of the funniest human beings and most brilliant people I know. I'd love to have him come and teach for you. So when the when the mm. gates open again, Sounds good. yep, I'll come with him. Um, so Jim, oh, let's see. So Jim was in Ireland teaching, and he didn't feel he was out on a river canoeing or something, and he, you know, just didn't feel well. And he got really, really tired. Then he had to fly to Scotland and teach. And when he got off the plane, the herbalist who met him said, are you okay? You don't look quite right. <laughs> and he said, I'm a little tired. I feel like lying down. It was 10 in the morning. And they said, you know what? We're going to take you directly to the hospital. So they basically saved wow. his life. He walks through the doors of the hospital in Edinburgh and fell, passed out. He had a little, a patch about two fingers width of his heart that blew out. Wow. Had open heart surgery. Well, I don't know, was it open heart surgery? But he had surgery and was put into an induced coma and I was told about it, and uh, Thomas Easley called me up and said, Margie, Jim's had a heart attack, and I hear this voice. It was like a comic strip. I really want to find a comic strip illustrator and write and have a little comic book made of this. So I hear this voice. It was like the voice of God. You must go. <laughs> you know, what? I've had lots of friends get sick. I've never felt compelled to travel internationally to take care of them. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And at the same time, my um, uh, daughter, Hannah, had a brain tumor and we had to prepare her for surgery. And my son was opening a restaurant in Kauai, in Hawaii, <clears throat> and needed a substantial amount of financing from his mother and and Rosita Arvego and I were supposed to go to Paris and have fun <laughs> so I dealt with the money I dealt with Hannah preparing her for brain surgery and Jim was conveniently in a coma that was that was great didn't have to worry about him and I went off to Paris with Rosita and had a fabulous time. There's another story there I could go back to, but not right now. <laughs> and as soon as I get home, 
Hannah had her surgery. She lived. The tumor was not too terrible, but she was fine. And then as soon as that first month of her care was done, I get a call from Jim's wife. Could you come to Scotland and take care of Jim on Monday? This was a Thursday. <laughs> wow. And I do travel quite a bit, so I know what it means to take an international flight on short notice. <clears throat> so, you know, I was just sitting in a coffee shop. Oh, remember those days? A coffee shop. <sighs> <laughs> typing if anyone happens to have a few billion extra frequent flyer miles i have to go to scotland and take care of jim and i hit send and a friend of mine from the local bar i hang out in i remember bars also fondly <laughs> came over and said what are you doing and i told him and he said oh i'll take care of it hmm. so i had a ticket to scotland <laughs> and Wow. So, and then I'm thinking, well, what am I going to take with me? He's been in an induced coma. He's had a heart attack. Uh, what am I going to bring? So, same list of herbs, basically. So, St. John's wort. I brought oil to rub on him. I made a, a body massage oil that had um, St. John's wort ashwagandha um jesus i should have had all this written down um i had essential oils with me i had palo santo i brought rose and found out later he hates rose um <laughs> i brought um sage and sweetgrass but knowing that i was going to be in a hospital and this is cardiac intensive care i mean you know you have to scrub down till there's nothing left on your body and wear plastic it's crazy and he's in a cardiac intensive care his own room with his own nurse and my friend heather borkowski and i come she lives in scotland i'm walking into his room and i've got my little box of herbs and tinctures and oils and salves and hair ointment and um and i just and he's just coming out of this induced coma the last thing he remembers is being in ireland <laughs> it's like wow he he begins opening his eyes and he sort of opened them and shut them and opened them and shut them and shook his head a little bit because he really couldn't move anything and I could just hear talking heads. I don't know if you're old enough to know that group, but I certainly know the talking. My heads. beautiful wife. <laughs> like, <laughs> you just imagine poor Jim. He has this young, beautiful wife, and there I am. <laughs> it's like, what is she doing here? <laughs> and why does everybody have an accent? <laughs> <laughs> so I just began doing rituals. So I began praying. And I brought um, sage spray, so white sage in alcohol. I made a spray, and the same with sweetgrass. I began in the east, called in the directions, went around the room, spraying all the while. <laughs> and, and then I did the um, sweetgrass spray, and his whole body shifted. 
into relaxation and his breathing became normal. And, you know, he couldn't speak. He hadn't, he had been intubated for 31 days or something crazy. And, and I turn around and every nurse in the cardiac ward is standing at the door and they're like, what did you just do? The energy in the, they didn't use the word energy. The whole room just changed. (laughs) I said, I'm happy to teach anytime. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and then I massaged him every single day, starting it on one foot, going up around the body. You can't get to the back of the head because there's all those wires and tubes. And one day he just pulled the end the tubes right out of his throat he's like i've done with this Mm -hmm. but he couldn't speak he didn't speak until the last day i was there was when he began to be able to speak he had to learn how to sit up and walk and use his muscles again you know and and muscles atrophy in 30 days so i just kept using herbs on him and calling on the plants and then at that time, um, Thomas or Rosalie DeForet, I don't, I don't know who it was, but somebody put a Facebook page up and we had people praying for him all around the planet. You know, we're in Chile and we meet at sunset every day and pray for Jim. And every day I would say, okay, today there's a blood clot in this part of his heart. Focus on Yarrow, call on Yarrow to disintegrate that blood clot safely and everyone would pray for whatever it was and every day we'd work on a new organ or a new part of his heart or the circulatory system or whatever it was but having that information knowing oh this is what's happening in this part of the heart so we need to focus with this because thought is creative and Prayer is so powerful. I'm not a religious person, but I do absolutely believe in prayer. You know, it is so potent. And he's alive and well and teaching. And, you know, I feel like other than giving birth to my kids, it's the most important work I ever did. Wow. You know, I just, I carried the prayers of all these people to him. And I was just an empty vessel. I would just walk in there and say, here are my hands, do your work. Incredible story. How do you choose your plants to give to people or your therapies? Is it intuition? It's based on education. You know, I mean, I've studied with so many wonderful herbalists and the way that I learn best is to sit at the knee of somebody and watch them and you know go into the apothecary with them and formulate and um you know i have an amazing library which we could talk about one day um have i read all those books not really <laughs> you know <laughs> i really have learned most of what i've learned from working directly with the plants in the dirt in the sun in the forest, in the desert, on the mountain, you know, putting them in my mouth. I have to, 
I have to know the herb in three different ways before I know anything about the herb. And then it still takes me time. You know, I'm not one of those people who has a photographic memory. Yeah, that'd be fun, maybe. But my memory is more in my taste buds and and what I see on a human being when they put the herb in them. Like you learn so much. I do um, pulse, drop pulse testing, you know, where I'll drop the herb on the pulse and then feel for change. And that, you know, okay. then the body is telling you exactly what it needs. It's like, yeah, I love that. No, don't give me that. <laughs> and you're pointing to the, the radio artery at the wrist. So by putting a drop of a herb there, and the pulse will change with oh, totally. each different herb that you put on. Yeah, that's a really fun class. You can um, yeah pick herbs that you know are really irritating or traditionally bad for people, and use those as the dramatic ones, and then pick things that are demulcent or oat straw or milky oats or something that pretty much everyone has a beneficial effect for. Or you can diagnose everyone and do it specifically. But um, I love to, uh, I have a good story there. I was teaching for Rosemary's Gladstar's advanced class and we were out in the year and she has big classes. There were about 35 people all, you know, in a little circle when humans get got to do that. And <laughs> this man in class who was a bit of a, um, he thought a lot of himself. Uh, he was sitting there and and I started talking about drop pulse testing and, and Rosemary said, oh, Margie, I don't believe in that. It's just your intuition. I said, oh, really? So I took, um, uh, it's called a werewolf fruit. It's the one with a 90 degree turn in it. It's a powerful herb. And I took one drop and I dropped it on this man's wrist. And he goes like, Oh, you can't see on the radio, but he he uh, did a wolf move with his neck, and you know, like really? he, it was totally like a wolf came into the room. And Rosemary's in the back of the room, and she goes, "Oh my God, I never believed that, <laughs> but now <laughs> wow. I believe you." And then I gave him marshmallow, Althea, and he completely calmed down. So there are ways of seeing what works and what doesn't work. And if you have, yeah. for instance, you're working with somebody and you know, oh, well, you know, which one of the liver herbs would be best? You can take those four herbs and see which one feels best in their pulse, which one makes the pulse improve or become fuller or less irritated. So with drop pulse testing, is this something akin to muscle testing and applied kinesiology? Um, I, like what is, what's, how does it work? What's the theory behind it? Um, the theory is when you drop a tincture onto a vein, it is readily absorbed into the bloodstream and you will get a response. So what I would okay. look for in the human is a drop in the shoulders, more color in the cheeks, um, a sign of relaxation, the pupils will dilate. Uh, some people might laugh or cry. I mean, 
there will be a response with the person. And sometimes there's no response. And when I'm teaching this, you know, I'll have everyone watching the person. And I want to know what other people's interpretations are. But always I want to hear from the client first. Okay. So when you do, when you put the drop on, are you then feeling the pulse to feel changes or are you just observing? Pulse on the radial pulse. Okay. And the drop yep. is put on with your fingers already onto the pulse. And then you okay. will feel so one in, of the fingers will change or all three. Okay. So in, chi in Chinese medicine, pulse diagnosis is crucial and we have so many different qualities of the pulse that we look for. Are you looking, are you feeling for different qualities and determining based on those qualities and those changes? Or is it more of a kind of a macro change? You're just feeling an acceleration or a deceleration of the pulse? I would say it's the, um, what are those books that are the monarch version of everything? I mean, I am not a Chinese practitioner at all. I do not know the 64 pulses and all their subtleties. Mm -hmm. But I do know the basics, you know, upper body, middle body, lower body, heart, lungs. And that works for me. You know, I'm, I'm very general. But when I sit with somebody who does have all that training, we always come up with the same answers. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and it's fascinating because in the practice of acupuncture, we can put a needle in anywhere on the body and we can check that radial pulse and we can immediately feel what changes are taking place and then we can know okay was do i need to leave this needle in longer do i need to manipulate it do i need to take it out what now may be the next needle that i need to put in and so a very skilled practitioner who's who's intuitive and skilled with pulse reading can determine incredible amounts of information yeah. Yeah, in instantly by reading the pulse and by inserting different needles so it it makes sense that you're able to do that and I think it's really cool. That's that's great. I, I love it. And I love acupuncture. I've had acupuncture since I was diagnosed all those years, since 74. That was another wow. thing that I did. You know, I did chiropractic, acupuncture, mm -hmm. massage, energy work, everything. I just, you know, it was like, give me the smorgasbord of healing. And uh, honestly, yeah. I do it all still. Yeah. To this day. Well, as you should. They work. <laughs> yeah. They work and they're keeping you healthy. You can't help everyone else get better unless you're receiving. And COVID has been rough because I'm not getting a weekly massage or weekly acupuncture or weekly anything. You know. You're not even getting hugs. Yes, it's very sad. And there are other things I'm not getting you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next topic. <laughs> okay, we'll move right along. <laughs> I do want to talk a bit. You mentioned your library and I see right behind you is a beautiful book, which I believe has the title of the practicing herbalist that you wrote. That's right. 
It is right there, isn't it? Yeah. Can we talk? Can we talk a bit about that book, the genesis of it, and the impact that that has had? Yeah. Um, well, if you want to shoot yourself into the world of actually making money as an herbalist, write a really good book. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> I did self-publish, so all the money I make is my own. And, you know, I did have to learn four or five different jobs in order to become a self-publisher. But um, that book, really, Rosemary Gladstar asked me to come and teach for her advanced program. And she said, well, bring along, you know, a little handout, maybe 24 pages on <laughs> being an herbalist. So I did that. And that was the beginning of the book. And then mm. it got more serious and it kept growing. You know, it was like copy shop books. You know, you go in here, print 20 of these for a glass. Yeah. And then um, one of my um, lovers said, Marky, you should tell the story of how you became an herbalist so that everybody knows no matter who you are, you can become an herbalist. You know, everybody has a unique story. <laughs> so I took a tape recorder and I began talking about how I became an herbalist. And then I walked around the, the office sort of describing everything I saw, you know, and here's the herb closet, you know, it's like, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. And yeah. all the different parts of the consultation room and the library. And I just talked and then I gave it to a friend who was a medical transcriber and she put it all on a CD. So then I had a rough format and now it's like 470 pages. <laughs> wow. And it's a really good book. I'm very proud of this book because it really it's everything I've learned in all my years. Yeah. Well, it is a good book. How long did it take you to write it? Nine, Nine years. years. Okay. And then does that include the formatting and the publication of it, or was that then a few more years included, after you completed it? That included everything, nine years. And then every time I've written a new edition, it's about a year um, to get a new edition edited, re-edited. I change my mind about things. I have new thoughts about things, or I'm focused in some new direction. So it's about a year um, to get another edition. And I'm behind. Uh, you know, I have less than 100 books left of the third edition. So I thought I'd have plenty of time during COVID to write the fourth edition. But so far, <laughs> I have not had a right. minute. <laughs> She's ridiculous. Um, but I am still really busy. And in order to write another edition, you need, I need to really talk about isolation. Oh my God. When I write another edition for the book, it's like I become a little squirrel. I have nuts and seeds around me and little blankets so that I can get off the chair and curl up on the floor and have a little nap. <laughs> you know, I'm ridiculously isolated when I write because I can't <laughs> handle distraction. You know, I, if, if I'm focused on writing, I can only write. So 
Well, I wish you luck on that rewrite process. My uh, printer went out of business. So I'm looking for a new oh. printer. And I'm very picky about who prints the mm -hmm. book because it has to be done well. And I, the artwork has to look good. <laughs> you know, all that artwork well, is to rest your brain so you can take the information in. You know, Matt Wood and yeah. I wrote those in various coffee shops around the country. And there's so much work in well, it. Yeah. Let's talk later because I may be able to help you. We've just published th three textbooks through Pacific Rim College for our online herbal program. And we shopped around a lot for a printer. And the books are gorgeous. They're oh, amazing. Oh, good. So, and they're yeah, well we can bound. Chat about that. They are. Yeah, this is a printer that actually binds for some of the biggest booksellers uh, and publishing houses, but they also do boutique for for people like us. So it's great. Good. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely interested in that. Okay. So what has been the impact of The Practicing Herbalist? When did it publish and what was, how'd your life change? I feel like it's been forever. So the first was 2013, and this is the third edition, and the fourth hopefully will be out next year. You guys better order yeah. books now, because who knows right. when they'll actually be out. <laughs> so how's your life changed with that book? Oh, I got way famous. You know, mm. I, when you write a book, there is... I think it makes people feel like you're more authentic or something. But this book, yeah. you know, it isn't a regular, it's not an herbal. It's really a book for people who want to open a practice. So it has okay. practical information about, you know, bookkeeping and intakes and answering the phone. I mean, it's, you know, it plus all the diagnostics and all of the information on various popular diseases <laughs> and enzymes and amino acids. And, you know, it's sort of a textbook. Yeah, well, it is. And it's a wonderful resource. It's one of our top sellers. People are always looking for, for that book. So, yeah, it's great. I keep sending people to you for that book. You're known as the ocean witch. I love that. Does what connection do you have to the ocean? And this is more of like a spiritual connection to the ocean. And do you actually use ocean-based plants and substances in your medicine? Yes, I use seaweeds a lot. Um, you know, I've since Fukushima. I felt like everyone needs to have seaweed. You know, it binds with seaweed's job is to take radiation, put it back into, you know, out of your body, bind with it, take it out and get rid of it. And, you know, here in New England, it's very wet. You know, we get a lot of rain and radiation comes down in rain. So I encourage people to eat seaweed all the time. <laughs> So okay. seaweed's my main thing from the ocean. And of course, I love seafood. Um, 
but my relationship with the ocean is really, I don't know, you might have to cut this out, but um, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in the ocean, ayahuasca is with me. Mm -hmm. And it's like the mother comes to me. And then I just yeah. listen to what I'm supposed to do. Right. And when you say it's like ayahuasca is with you, is that in reference to you have a similar experience? No. As to when you're with the, the plant medicine? So I sat with ayahuasca for four days in mm -hmm. ceremony with um, elders. And William Lasassier, who was my mentor, had told me before he died years and years ago that I needed to have that experience with ayahuasca, but I never felt safe with the various people who would say, oh, come and do ceremony with me. It just seemed too party-like. Of course. And I am not interested in ceremony in a party atmosphere. <laughs> you know, I, mm -hmm. I believe in ceremony, but I also believe in having teachers that you feel totally safe with who have been trained well and um, will carry your spirit if, you know, especially within theogens where you can be carried away. And um, so my experience with ayahuasca was pretty simple, actually. You know, I didn't have all the full color, scary life, no, scary stuff that people do. My experience was pretty mellow. And whenever it would like begin to go too fast, I would just say, Mother Ayahuasca, please slow down. And it would go, hmm. <laughs> and be calm again but when i finished those four days i felt like i never had to do it again i felt like anything that needed to be seen or healed that work was done but when i get in the ocean i feel mother ayahuasca it's like there's something about being surrounded by that huge body of water that takes me to that place. And then I just listen. And when you're listening, are you, is that listening to your intuition or is it just it's, the universal? It isn't even about intuition. It isn't about, it's like listening to your you, own. You become one with all things. Thanks. No, I, I can understand that and certainly have shared that experience. And and with the ayahuasca and other plant spirit medicine, as you as you said, the set and setting are so important. And they are not if someone is doing them as a, a party sort of favor, it's gonna be a very different experience than someone who is in ceremony with intention and with the proper guides to to lead you along your experience. So it is, it's crucial, absolutely crucial to being a recipient of what that spirit medicine has to offer. And so other than seaweeds, is there, are there any other plants that you're using from the ocean? I know seaweeds, that's, uh, encompasses a, a very large 
swath of and of all the different so colors and different parts of the planet the, mm -hmm. the different seaweeds the colors and their behaviors are are all very different but um mm -hmm. my mind's going blank i can't what else is in the ocean there's so much i should be able to be filled with thoughts but they are not there that's all right we've been talking for like four hours now or something so i understand <laughs> <laughs> No, we have been talking for a while. I know, as you said, things have been busy, so I don't want to um, be be over greedy of your generosity to to meet with me today. I've really appreciated this. I thought maybe before I'll give you a chance to tell listeners where they can learn more about you. Um, but before we do that, I want to go back to a to maybe learning or hearing about another healing story with herbs. And I'm wondering if you have a story with anything that was a, an acute, severe, or serious condition where, because as practitioners, it's, we often hear that, oh, well, herbs and acupuncture and all these therapies, yeah, they're okay for some conditions, but they're no good for acute conditions. When there's an emergency, you need to go to the hospital. Mm. But I found otherwise. I found that in some emergency situations, I've been able to do tremendous things with acupressure or acupuncture. And I just wonder if you have any stories of acute healing or healing from acute conditions by intervening with herbs. Well, the one that popped into my brain was my very first client. And okay. this woman... Um, had a lot of kids and she was living alone and she became very ill she probably should have been hospitalized but she refused to go to the hospital and she always referred to me as her doctor and so um i went with my little basket of herbs so she had a high fever a bad cough she'd been sick i think over a week uh, was dehydrated. So I had some broth with me, plain old chicken soup with astragalus and burdock and carrots and celery, you know, vegetables. So I had some soup. I had some sage and sweet grass because I always clear space before I do any work. And there was the scent of... Um, stagnation in the house it was summertime and so i had her daughters there were two daughters were there i had them open all the windows and cleared the space stripped the bed had them start the laundry had one of them go into the shower to hold her she was so weak she couldn't stand up hold her in the shower and not too hot so that she could be clean. It's like the old fashioned ways, you know, you have to clean to get better. You have to get rid of the old air. And it's that old air that um, gets into your lungs and is bad for you. So we cleared the space. I, I gave her a traditional formula of tea. She was an alcoholic, so she could not have any alcohol. So we had um, peppermint and yarrow, some chamomile, 
and probably some bioflavonoids, so rose hips or something, <clears throat> and had that tea to bring her fever down. So her fever was down in two hours, no problem. And I had her have her first liquid, so just tablespoons of broth, because uh, she hadn't really eaten anything for days. And she got into clean sheets and her, her fever broke and she was fine the next day, but stayed resting for a couple of days as we increased nutrition. And, you know, I think it's a simple story, but it's a story that is important to tell because it is simple. And she could have died. I mean, she was, she was probably my age then. So she was probably 70 living on her own, totally dehydrated and, you know, needed a, a clearing. The best way to break a fever is with diaphoretic herbs. So there we go. Make her sweat. Get it out. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> and thank you for sharing all of these great pearls of wisdom with us. Where can listeners find out more about you, Margie? Okay. I have a website. It's earth, E-A-R-T-H, song, S-O-N-G, herbals, H-E-R-B-A-L-S, dot com. Um, and I'm on YouTube, Margie Flint, and Twitter, and Instagram, and all those cool modern young things, because I have a social media person. <laughs> Um, and there are quite a few classes that I'm beginning to do these half hour classes. They're fun and they're, okay. you know, it's just by donation. So it, it's a great way that I can keep teaching and feel like I'm connected to people. <laughs> um, so yeah. the website, or you can email me, um, if you want to have a consultation, everything's virtual. I can see anyone now. And that's my name, mm -hmm. Margie, M-A-R-G-I, Flint, F-L-I-N-T, at M-A-C dot com. Okay. I'll put all of those into the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, you're fun. Well, I hope. Oh, thank you. You're pretty easy to interview, so that's great. And I hope that we can have you back to Victoria sometime in the not-too-distant future. So let's keep our fingers crossed for that. And who knows, in the meantime, maybe we can do something online as well. So we can we can chat about that. And, and I will check in with you about book publishing ideas as well. So. Good, yeah. And thank you for taking the time to do this. You have been such a, a gift to our community at Pacific Rim College. And I look forward to our ongoing relationship with you. Oh, thank you, Todd love you all right have a have hugs. a great day thank you hugs, virtual hugs to everyone there virtual hugs <laughs> sounds good thanks for listening to this episode of pacific rim college radio with margie flint for more information about margie please visit earthsongherbals.com that's E-A-R-T-H-S-O-N-G-H-E-R-B-A-L-S dot com. And look for her return to lecture at Pacific Rim College, hopefully in the near future. 
If you are interested in studying herbal medicine, the School of Western Herbal Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned programs, including world's only study options combining Western herbal medicine with acupuncture and holistic nutrition. Visit PacificRimCollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our other online education in herbal medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at PacificRimCollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture and Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, see how you can benefit from your village herbalist.